Good morning, church. Hey, it's so good to be with you this Lord's Day for those of you online as well. Um, just want to, before we get into the message, uh, give you an invitation to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. And uh, if you have your bulletin or a sermon note card, uh, I just invite you to place it in your Bible and certainly can leave your Bibles open or close them for a bit. It's going to be a while before we get to the text this morning. So I just want to give you that by way of invitation for preparation. Um, so before we do spend time in the Word today, I'd invite you to please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to open your Word and to share in a time together. Holy Spirit, come and teach us, lead us, guide us, that you may reveal to us uh, any encouragement that we need to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you and a life that truly reflects who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to talk about our testimonies, a life that has been changed by the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are a Christian, you certainly have a testimony. A testimony is certainly our story upon which our life as a sinner and Jesus as a Savior intersected, and we uh, had understood our sin, our need for Jesus. We called on him for salvation, and through the promise of his word, we experienced life in him. Life that is both abundant here and now, but also eternal then and there. So I'm just curious, uh, I would love to interview each and every one of you to hear your testimony. Uh, it's possible that not everybody here has a testimony yet because you haven't actually entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's okay. But I do know how oftentimes people in the church, when they're asked to share their testimony, who grew up in the church, will respond by saying, my testimony is kind of boring. You know, I feel bad saying it because I grew up in church and it's not all that exciting. You know, I'm not the person who had like the Paul experience and, and had this, you know, I was drug addicted and this and that and God just changed my life overnight and here I am serving the Lord. What I want to let you know today to level the playing field. If you have had a dramatic encounter with Jesus where he has radically changed your life. And that's part of your story. Let's praise the Lord for that. But if you grew up in the church and you were taught the way of Jesus from an early age and you accepted Christ and over time, he's revealed himself to you and you find yourself that you've been what you would say a lifelong Christian because you can't really pinpoint that time. Can we praise the Lord for that too? so that we level the playing field for real, I want you to know that if you are a Christian, then you are a walking, talking miracle of God. You know why that is? Because every believer in Jesus Christ who is truly a Christian has been made alive in Christ, has been given the spirit of Christ, and has been made into a new creation. And as a new creation, that is the miracle work of God in the life of those who by faith accept Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, 
you're a miracle. And if you're a miracle, you have a testimony. And if you have a testimony, God wants you to share your story so that others can interact with, the, with Jesus Christ in that same intersection you found him, the intersection of sin and salvation, where Jesus showed up and saved your life. I want to take you back to Acts chapter 21 in preparation for Acts chapter 22 this morning. In Acts chapter 22, we find Paul's defense of some accusations that were not true. But in providing his defense, he actually shares his personal testimony. And in sharing his personal testimony, we're going to use it as a framework for understanding our own testimony and how we can, like Paul, take the opportunity in not only sharing our testimony, but sharing the gospel through our testimony. But we've been in the book of Acts for quite a while, haven't we? Did you know we're going to continue in the book of Acts until it's done? You know how long that's going to be? Till it's done. It might be a while. We're actually in 22 today, and we're on a fast track to, to bringing this series to an end. But last week we talked about how Paul and his companions, at the end of their third missionary journey, made it to Jerusalem, which was one of their goals. And in getting to Jerusalem, they met with James and the elders of the Christian Jewish church. And as they met, Paul was able to share with them what God was doing in the lives of the Gentiles and Jews all throughout Asia Minor and into Europe in mission one, two, and three. As a result, of we also recognize how James was sharing with Paul how the Christians, or how the Jews in Jerusalem were becoming Christians. And as a result of that, thousands and thousands of Jews had received Jesus as Messiah and Lord of their life. But remember, Paul had this big misunderstanding he had to deal with. These Jewish Christians were misunderstanding Paul's message as he went to the Gentiles, to the Jews. They accused him of telling the Jews that they no longer have to practice the, the, the customs of the Jewish tradition and that they can abandon it altogether, which was entirely a lie. In fact, where Paul encountered Jews, he encouraged the traditions of their faith. But what he did was help bring understanding to how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these traditions and rituals and how now we can see the tradition and ritual of the Jewish faith through the lens of being fulfilled in Christ, which brings a much different, meaningful, and rich experience. So this big misunderstanding was trying to be resolved when James, the leader of the Jewish Christian church, and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, get together and agree that, you know what, Paul, we're going to have you go through this ritual vow upon which you're going to go through a seven-day cleansing. And by the way, there's four men here that are fulfilling their Nazarite vow, so we're going to have you pay for their vow, and, and, and that will show the Christians who are Jewish that you still uphold the traditions of Judaism. And so he goes in and he's paying for these men to complete their vow. And he's in the process of getting uh, cleansed through this ritual uh, process. It's a seven-day period of cleansing. 
And I believe that then the Jewish Christians began to understand that maybe Paul wasn't against them, he was with them. But the next group came in opposition to him, and the next group were not Christians, they were actually Jews who were non-believers. And so Paul is now faced in the midst of trying to clear up a big misunderstanding with new accusations by Jews who were not Christians. And in Acts 21, verse 27, it's not on the screen, but you can either follow along or listen to this. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia, likely from the area of Ephesus, saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. This is the setting. This is the scene. Paul's in the temple. He's being cleansed. He's being purified along with these four other men. And this mob rises against him. Verse 28, yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere. This is the first accusation. And tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. This is the second accusation. He speaks against the temple, third accusation, and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. I don't know if you've ever been accused of something you've not done. Think of your response in those situations. Is it calm or is it heightened? Well, this accusation gripped the people in Jerusalem and It caused a great deal of distress. And so these Jews, they they grabbed Paul and they dragged him out of the temple area into the court of the Gentiles and they were going to kill him. A Roman soldier sees what's going on, takes his soldiers and goes down and, and snatches Paul from the crowd as they stop because the soldiers are there and questions Paul. Who are you and what are you doing here? Are you that Egyptian who brought about an uprising against the Romans? And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not me. So who are you then? As they're asking the crowd, they can't get it clear because there's just this constant noise of yelling and shouting. And so this is what Paul says about himself in verse 39. I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and he motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and he addressed them in their own language, the language of Aramaic. Paul comes to his own defense through false accusations. How Paul handles these false accusations is certainly going to be an example to us today in how we should handle similar situations as Christians. The Apostle Paul's testimony, which we're going to hear in Acts 22, it's actually a defense of these accusations, but it's also an example of a life that was dramatically changed and then repurposed by Jesus himself. His example of life change shows us how God saves people through the person of Jesus Christ. How God gives people his Holy Spirit that empowers and equips and encourages 
all who belong to him, and how God gives every person in Christ a mission for life. By reflecting on Paul's transformation story, I think we'll be able to get a glimpse of a roadmap, something that will help us to formulate our own story so that when we share our story, people can identify Christ in us as well. I think that Paul had two purposes in addressing the crowd. First of all, he wanted them to hear that he was loyal to the Jewish heritage. Remember, these are Jews, and so was Paul. He wanted them to hear and to know, I am one of you. I am like you, but I am changed. I am different. He saw himself standing in continuity with the Jewish traditions, even though he confessed Jesus as Messiah. He recognized Jesus to be the righteous one that the prophet Isaiah foretold that would come and fulfill all things. The second thing I think that Paul wanted people to know was the facts about his conversion. He had no interest in embellishing his story. He just wanted people to know who I was, what happened when I encountered Christ, and who I am now. And this is the general framework of all of our testimonies. Who I was, my encounter with Christ, and who I am now. Paul wanted people to know that his ministry was not the result of his wild ideas or of his own imagination, but that his ministry was truly the result of God's sovereignty and active grace as Jesus Christ pursued Saul, who became Paul, and was sent out on mission for Jesus. See, Paul used this opportunity in telling his testimony to also tell people of the good news of the gospel. And I think that God has given each one of us a testimony in Christ to help us to share the good news of Jesus with others. At the end of chapter 21, Paul stands up, and as the crowd was silent, he said in their own language, I want to just pause here for a minute because to speak in the language of someone that you can identify with, Paul was essentially saying, Calm down. I'm one of you. And I think they heard that. As we get into Acts 22, the beginning of his testimony, this is how he starts. Brothers and esteemed fathers, verse 1 of Acts 22. Brothers and esteemed fathers. Who was the first one that spoke these words? It was Stephen, the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, we read of how Stephen became that first Christian martyr and how 
It was Saul of Tarsus, who we now know as Paul, was present. And as Stephen was giving his testimony, as he was defending his faith in Jesus for following the way, he began in the very same way, brothers and esteemed fathers. Is it possible that Paul never forgot the picture of that situation? I think so. I really believe so. It's interesting because I think one of the things that we recognize and need to recognize here is that Paul at this point in his life and ministry, remember he's decades into following Jesus, sees people differently than he did before he was following Jesus. He's seeing people now through the lenses of God who loves sinners and wants to call them unto salvation. How do you see people? Are you seeing people in your life as a sinner called unto salvation? Are you able to enter into their story as a Christian, not by saying, I'm a Christian and a righteous one at that? Come on, sinner, follow me. No. We enter into each other's story by identifying with each other as a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm one who has experienced the grace of God in a mighty way. And I want you to know that the same grace that's changed my life can change your life too. From a believer to a non-believer, there's so many things that are different about us, but there's so many things that are different now. As a result of following Jesus and the grace of God at work in my life, I'm a different person. And God wants to help you to be different too. You see, the people that were bringing these accusations against Paul saw Paul as their enemy. How did Paul see them? As people God loved as people that God wanted to pour out his grace and his mercy upon, as people who needed Jesus. We carry on in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 5. Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. I believe there was a murmuring that was maybe going on. Wow, he's speaking like us. Maybe he is like us. And when he began to tell his story, there was the nudging Shh, I want to hear this. He really is like us. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. I'm just like you. I am just like you. But how did they now see Paul? Not only is he like us, but he's like the Jew of the Jews. Born in a university city, trained and raised in Jerusalem, Under Gamaliel, 
Man, this guy knows the scriptures. Wow. He is a real Jew. Verse 4, and I persecuted followers of the way. I was just like you. I was doing to others what you are doing to me right now. Hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify to this. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. I did what you're doing. I was just like you. But God. Before we get to but God, sometimes pastors, maybe it's just me, wrestles with, how do we really bring the illustration and application to the message to really make it personal? So I decided today to share a little bit about my own testimony so you can get to know me better. This is life before Christ. My life before Christ. I was that foul-mouthed jerk from out of town. who had a mouth that needed to be cleaned, who had a mind that needed to be cleaned. Then there's this thing called lust. Maybe you can relate. The Bible tells us that there's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and then there's this thing called pride of life. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, it says, Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. So how do we understand this lust anyway? The lust of the eyes, it occurs, well, when we see something visually that incites covetousness or, or a jealousy or causes us to sexually lust after others. This was certainly my life before Christ. And I can tell you now, unless I subject myself to obeying the word of God and to the spirit in my life, I can still fall to this reality. The pride of life is the desire in every human being to be his or her own God. Before I ever knew Jesus, my life was not about God. My life was about me. And unless you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is about you too. You just might not know that. Arrogance, self-promotion, greed, they all stem from being a proud individual. Left to ourself, we'll never pursue the things of God. We will only pursue self-gratification, greed, pleasure. The lust of the flesh is something we all fight too. 
the fleshly desires, they can rule over us. In fact, they can take God's place in our life. The crazy things about the lust of the flesh is they're common things in everyday life, like food and clothes and shelter and comfort and, and security. And, and if you're married, sex. But when the lust of the flesh takes over, we, we, we place that need in God's place. And we look to others to meet the need rather than him. Before I was in Christ, the friends I hung out with, the people I ran with, they certainly didn't run me to Jesus. They ran me as far away from Jesus as possible. My life before Christ, I desired the things of this world. Materialism, certainly, but my whole life was lived pursuing something for myself. When I thought of my career and my education, when I thought of the things that I wanted, the house and the cars, what I was going to build my life upon, that was my life before Christ. But something I want you to see in here, as, as Paul is telling his story, I want you to recognize Paul's calmness in his defense. When we are in pressure-filled conversations as Christians, let's turn to God and ask him to help us to be calm and to give us the grace to respond with gentleness and respect. Paul was able to enter into this really intense situation upon which people were making false accusations against him. And rather than screaming, hooting, and hollering and try to justify himself, he just calmly and simply stated the truth. He gave him the facts. Yes, Christians, as we live in this world today, we're going to be faced with all kinds of trials and tribulations. I don't know if, if, if you're aware of this, but the world doesn't look favorably upon Christians these days. The question is, how are you going to engage the world? And in, in what posture will you defend the truth? So much of our lives as Christians has, has gotten ourselves into trouble in the world and of the, by the world because even though we're trying to defend the right position, our posture in that defense is wrong. And so we look like we hate rather than we look like we love. We look like we're against you rather than we look like we have compassion for you. God wants us to just state the facts, to defend the truth, but to do that with gentleness and respect out of a posture of love. We don't have to creatively come up with the position God's already defined it. But when we think of situations and circumstances like abortion and marriage and other hard things that our culture is wrestling with today, as Christians, we can certainly hold a position on those things based on the authority of God's word, but our posture matters. And if we don't hold the right position with the right posture, we're going to make a mess of our life and the life of those around us. So like Paul, let's be calm, speak the truth in love, 
with gentleness and respect and leave the results up to God. The second thing we find in his testimony is he tells about his encounter with Christ and what happens as a result of that. Beginning in verse 6 through 16, I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon. A very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. Paul didn't think he was persecuting Jesus. He set out to persecute people who followed Jesus. But one of the things that Jesus revealed to Paul is that when you persecute my people, you are actually persecuting me. Take heart, church. When the world comes against you and persecutes you, they aren't persecuting you, they're persecuting Jesus. This is what Jesus said. He said what he meant when he said, they're going to hate you because they hate me first. They're going to persecute you because they're persecuting me. See, are we ready? Are we ready for this? The world is getting to this place where we must be ready. If we're not ready, we're going to get run over. The world is coming after us as Christians. Will we stand firm in the truth? Jesus never called us to a comfortable life. What he did call us to is a life of picking up our cross and following him. And even though that life might not be comfortable, in the midst of the distress, one of the truths and one of the realities is that God says, I will be with you. So we must not fear. Verse 9, the people with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light, and I had uh, to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man and deeply devoted to the law, devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witnesses, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Not only did Paul find a new life when he met Christ, but he found a new purpose. He found a mission. I want to remind you what Jesus said to us before he left us and sent us the Holy Spirit. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
This assignment to go into the world and to tell people about Jesus wasn't just given to Paul. It was given to you and it was given to me as well. We are recipients of this same assignment. Yes, we might have different gifts to be used within the church. But none of us can say that I haven't been asked or expected to tell the good news about Jesus to others. It belongs to all of us. And one of the ways that I believe God has equipped us to tell others about him is through our personal testimonies. I encountered Jesus late in high school in a unique and special way. I grew up in the church. I had all the Sunday school answers. I think I lived on the faith of my parents and the tradition that I was brought up in. But I was late high school. I was in Washington, D.C. at a Youth for Christ event, and it was then and there that God opened my eyes and opened my ears that I could see him and hear him. It was there that I came face to face with the reality of my sin and my need for Jesus to be my Savior. As I turned from my sin and turned to Christ, I recognized that God was doing a new work in me. Not only was I a new person, but he gave me a new purpose in life. It was then and there that God began to change the desires of my heart. I began to see life differently, and I I began to think about living life for Jesus rather than living life for myself. One of the unique things that happened is that I, I discovered a newfound hunger for the Word of God. And as a result of that, I spent a lot of time in God's word. And it was then and there that through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the word of God, I began to change and God began to use the spirit and the word to to, to make me into a new person. It was at that time that, that I felt compelled to tell others about what God has done for me. And if he has done it for me, then I promise you he can do it for you too. which leads us to recognize something about Paul's courage here in his defense. He never backed down from speaking the truth. In the midst of this hard dilemma and conversation, he wasn't silent. When pressured, he stood his ground. He proclaimed the truth with love for others. I guess my question to you this morning, one of them is really this. If you're a Christian and you have a testimony, who was the last person who was not a believer that you told your testimony to? And if you can't think of one, why not? It's one of the ways upon which God has given you the opportunity and an avenue to talk about God's saving grace. From our encounter with Christ that changed us to our life now in Christ. The third part of our testimony. Beginning in verse 17, Paul goes on and he says, After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness, Stephen, was killed. 
I stood and I kept the coats of those that, that, that took their coats off when they went to go stone Stephen. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, they threw off their coats, and they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. Living a life in Christ isn't always going to be a popular life to live. It won't always be a message that will be accepted and received. People won't all hear your story of life change just excitedly as you tell it. And sometimes people will absolutely reject that what God has done in your life that he can do in theirs. Sometimes they'll just think you're flat out nuts. But here, Paul begins to unpack for us the significance of remaining in Christ and using our story not only to identify with people, but using our story to tell the good news of the gospel and how the grace of God can change your life too. When God changed my life through my encounter with him, there was a shift in my life, my life from lusting after women and competing against men. The lust for women made me see women as objects to be pursued. The competition with men made me see men as, as, as people who I was competing against maybe in this world. But the shift in my heart and the shift in my mind in Christ made me see both men and women differently now. Not as people I was pursuing or people that I was competing against, but I began to see people as objects of God's love, an object of God's affection, and people that God not only loved, but that Jesus died for and he wanted to save. And so I began to see people all around me as somebody, I wonder if they're a Christian. I wonder if they know Jesus. I wonder if I should tell them. The desires for the things of this world in my life began to change. And one of the most notable changes on the front end of my salvation was a shift in my thoughts and a shift in my language. I remember reading in Ephesians, and it said in Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Oh, that hit me here, and it hit me here. And I began to ask the question, like, what does it mean to change my mouth? And what I was taught and what I've learned is that as I was made alive in Christ and the Spirit indwells me and the Word instructs me that my mouth would never be cleaned by God alone. There's this participation in the cleansing of my mouth that says, God says, 
Here's my word. This is how you're to live. Here's my spirit to help you live this way. But in obedience to my spirit and my word, you need to stop talking the way you're talking. You see how this works? And all of a sudden, it required obedience to the spirit and to the word. And and as I began to say yes to the word and to the spirit, my mind began to change. My mouth began to change. My friends began to change. I want to remind you, I'm still a work in progress. As I'm sure you are too. Living from a posture of who I am in Christ and who I'm becoming became a reality of my life. Who I'm becoming is God is molding me and shaping me into Jesus. If you're a Christian, he's doing that to you too. Began to think about my fit in the church. If I'm truly part of the body and I'm a body part, what part am I? As I recognize God's calling on my life, the first response to his calling was not yes and amen, Lord. I'm really glad you chose me to be a pastor. My first response was, I'm out of here. I'm going to run that way because you want me to go that way. Eventually, as God caught up to me, (laughs) didn't take long. I said yes to that call. I think finally we should recognize Paul's new calling in his defense. He lived into his new calling. He understood his new life in Christ. He understood that he was to tell people about the good news of Jesus, and so are we. Not just pastors, not apostles. All of us are called to tell people about Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. The power of a Christian testimony is witnessed in the changed life of somebody who is a sinner and is now a saint. It's not about how bad I was. It's about how good God is. It's about God's work in my life, not my working out my salvation. But there's a partnership there. God saves us and calls us to obedience. See, people might not like what we have to say about Jesus, but they can never argue with the life that we now live that is dramatically changed from the life we had before we knew Jesus. They can't argue with that. Know your story. Who I was before Christ. What my encounter with Christ was like and who I am now in Christ. Tell your story. Share your story. None of us have the responsibility of changing anybody's life. That's God's job. But all of us have the responsibility of speaking the truth in love with gentleness and respect. And one of the great gifts God's given to everyone who is a believer in him is our testimony. Will you use your testimony to win others to Jesus? Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for your word. A good word at that. Thank you for Paul's example and the power of our testimony. Pray that God, as we go about our everyday life, we will recognize the gift of our testimony of life change that is found in you and be willing to share that with others. That through our life, others would be drawn to you in Christ's name. Amen.